I'm Alex Barlow, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. And we begin with a discussion of the Senate's bipartisan vote to advance tens of billions of dollars, which we don't have, to Ukraine, presumably unchecked. It's a disgrace, and I explain why. Then I give you an update on the baby formula shortage crisis and what the Biden administration is finally attempting to do to stop it. Spoiler alert, it will not instill confidence in new and expecting mothers. Disney has somehow gotten even more woke with an absurd new clothing line targeted toward queer individuals. Oklahoma has passed a hardcore new anti-abortion bill, and I share my take on the dissolution of the White House Disinformation Board. I guess we fixed disinformation. Hooray! And there's much more in the opening of the show, including a new possible Elon Musk scandal, which might actually make some of you like him a little more. Our guest today is John Hayward, who I called on at the last minute to report on some breaking news that the Biden administration is about to sign something akin to a treaty with the World Health Organization that would relinquish some of our national sovereignty during a pandemic. And what is a pandemic? Whatever the World Health Organization says it is. It's scary stuff. And John, who's one of our best international and national security reporters at Breitbart News, he gives us all the details and explains why he thinks this is happening to us. Plus, I play some audio of George W. Bush talking about the unjustified and brutal war in Iraq, the Freudian slip of the century, to be sure. Then we have our caller of the day. Let's roll it. We'll start with something that is, did happen yesterday, and so we're looking backwards a touch, but I can't uh, resist bringing it up, is uh, the appalling $40 billion in aid to Ukraine that was passed by a bipartisan Senate. And the, the numbers are truly alarming. I mean, the amount of Republicans who voted for this thing it makes me feel uh, very discouraged. Only 11 Senate conservatives voted against the uniparty establishment. Uh, I'm going to read you those names, and if you do not hear that names, that means that whoever is your preferred senator and some of my favorites are not on this list. Uh, it is uh, they are part of the problem in this regard. Senator Rand Paul, Senator Josh Hawley, Senator Mike Lee, Senator Bill Haggerty, Senator Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, Mike Braun, Senator Tommy Tuberville, Senator John Boozman of Arkansas, Senator Roger Marshall, and Senator Mike Crapo of Idaho. If uh, you did not hear that name, that meant senators, some of whom are regulars on the show, some of them who uh, I like in other contexts decided this $40 billion boondoggle uh, was a appropriate thing to vote for in the midst of the worst inflation that we've had in, I don't know, 50 years, maybe ever in this country. And the main issue here, as Rand Paul pointed out in the broadcast, isn't that we're sending aid to Ukraine, though, of course, uh, arguably it'd be better to send weapons or directly, just not money for weapons, but weapons themselves, uh, but that there is no oversight. And the bill was specifically written so that there's no inspector general that is going to be keeping an eye on where the $40 billion is going. And of course, the $40 billion number is totally random. And there's a, a no one who can justify whether we need the $40 billion over, I don't know, $28 billion? Uh, we have a breakdown of where the money is going. And allegedly, if there is oversight and there is not, uh, big chunks of it are going to go to things like a U.S. military operations, including the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative to replace the U.S. military equipment. So that type of stuff, I mean, you, you get that if that's really, it's really going to go, 
but that is the most substantial portion. But there's also $9 billion in economic assistance to Ukraine, which is just basically, that's just a, a, a pallet of money. That's just $9 billion on a pallet that they can, Ukraine can spend on whatever. And $4.35 billion in humanitarian aid. With no oversight, that's just a chunk of money that they are going to drop over there, and they might as well put on a parachute and just drop it a, a down on the ground in cash. So we're never going to know where it goes. It's just gone. And as noted over and over on the show, the $40 billion number is probably about enough money as it would have taken to build one and a half of Trump's border walls. So, which we can never have the money for. Remember, three years, never the money for it. Until finally, the fourth year of Trump's administration, we started to build it. $4 billion for foreign military financing programs run by the State Department. That sounds good. $500 million for European for the European Bank for, re, for Reconstruction and Development. Nice. Okay, $190 million for state for the State Department for diplomatic programs. $190 million for diplomatic programs? What? What is this stuff? It's confusing. I'm confused. All right, so that's what we're doing. $414 million for research, development, tests, and evaluation related to the Ukraine war. Okay. All right, get behind that. So disappointing that so many Republicans went on, along with us. Um, Joe Biden has initiated the Defense Production Act. I'm going back a couple days, but I want to get my, you'd hear my take on some of these big items of the day. Oh, it is, it is Hawaiian shirt Friday. I forgot to mention that. And we do have a lot of time for crawl. So if you can demonstrate to Haley and Greg, you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt and jeans. You're in first on the call boards. Yeah, baby. It's the pre-end. Pre-ends with Breitbart. So uh, Biden's going to initiate the Defense Production Act, which is the uh, emergency abilities of the U.S. government in a crisis to essentially seize control of factories and demand that they make stuff that is necessary for the country. And we're seeing reports of children already needing hospitalization and surgery due to the formula crisis where they either can't get the formula and then they get on the wrong formula and it is or they uh, have an inability to get some at all. Um, in San Antonio, for example, 56% of retailers have no formula, period. Forget about switching formulas, which uh, I will be doing uh, in short order in my family because our preferred formula has been gone for a couple months. So we've got a couple of tubs left, and that'll be that. And then we've got a very similar formula. We'll try that. hope it goes well. But then if this thing continues, then, you know, you could end up having nothing. You end up having nothing. So we're already seeing literal reports of hospitalizations. So Biden does Defense Production Act, which is, I guess I'm okay with it. Here's the thing, though, is that this is not creating something that it's not, it's, we're not asking them to create things that are unnecessarily easy to make. I don't know how precise you have to be to create baby formula. I would imagine it has to be pretty darn precise. And it just seems like a logistical nightmare to try to spin up the ability to make baby formula with all the right ingredients in the correct balance in the right facilities, which I imagine have to be sterile to some degree. I just don't know how that's going to be done very quickly. It's the, this is America, so I hope we can do it. But logistically, I will uh, doth my cap to President Big Joey, the big guy, if he's able to pull this off. It just feels like it's for show. I just don't have any confidence that this is going to make a big difference for America's babies. I mean, where, what else, what other options are there? Are there other parts of the country, that don't, the other parts of the world that don't have this issue? Are we able to get some of the formula 
from elsewhere, overseas? There's so many questions that could be answered here. And the FDA is refusing to tell Congress why the infant formula response took months. And they announced FDA Commissioner Robert Catliff says that they are, even though he's stonewalling, he says he has an ongoing investigation. That's great. So they're investigating themselves and then uh, they're offering no response. So uh, the lawmakers are asking for an explanation and you're not getting any. He says, we have an ongoing investigation about the details of exactly what happened from point A to point B along the way. And since it's ongoing, I can't give extensively more details on that part of it. Nice. Wow. Do you see why I get so annoyed when we start uh, cutting blank checks to people? If we're cutting blank checks to people in Ukraine with no oversight, then what are we doing here in the United States? It's a, we don't, we're not holding anyone accountable for anything. We're becoming a, a country of no accountability. And you, we need to be very honest with ourselves because this is not a partisan issue. This is a bipartisan issue. Republicans are slightly better than Democrats on this. I, 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 I give you that. But both sides are determined to prove they're never wrong. And investigations never yield any sort of major change, it seems like. I'm going to read you a headline that appeared in the New York Times recently. And then I'll tell you the date after the headline. Families scramble to find baby formula, diapers, and wipes. Families scramble to find baby formula, diapers, and wipes. Would you like to know when this headline appeared? October the 3rd, 2021. Isn't that nice? So what were we talking there? Seven months ago? Eight months ago? Actually, this is an updated story that first appeared in March of 2020, or as Joe Biden says it, 2020. He likes to say his 20s like that. He enjoys it. It's entertaining for him. And we get the, de- the, the Defense Production Act on Wednesday. Sleep at the switch. Kind of apropos because we were talking to Bill O'Reilly about uh, Joe Biden's lack of vision and how he doesn't really have an ideology. He's just a reactionary guy. And I thought that was a pretty good observation and one that I had not heard before. That he cannot think. He does not know cause and effect. And I thought that was a very interesting and spot on analysis that he gave on the broadcast. He's just in a haze. He can't get out of the haze because it's a physical thing. So right. And you know, we were talking about the context of his national security and foreign policy response, but this explains why a guy can have the, the babies of the country that he is presiding over suffering and he has nothing to offer them for months and months and months and months. And finally, okay, now we'll do the most extreme thing, Defense Production Act. Should be embarrassed. Everyone in the White House should be embarrassed. And by the way, the, the Congress should be embarrassed too because they should have done more. Um, you know, we've spoken to some of them. Some of them said they were raising red flags, at least Stefanik in uh, February. If that's true, credit to her. But uh, not enough was done. Too much Ukraine focus. Isn't that amazing how many news cycles that we wasted on a bunch of crap, meaningless stuff? Stuff that should never have been uh, the part of the conversation. Happens over and over again. 
For example, how the White House created a literal ministry of truth, a disinformation governance board, put then uh, they were going to put in charge a cartoon character in it, Nina Jankovitz, a left-wing lunatic who has a wide fascist streak and seems to be sort of perverted based on her postings on Spotify. And that's what they were going to do. But that's gone too, by the way, which is nice. That's a good thing. That is a positive. So that that died. Uh, uh, and um, big news from a day and a half ago. Um, I'm sure it came up a bit in yesterday's show, so I won't dwell on that too much. But a good, an obvious thing that this is not appropriate for our country to have this, to have a ministry of truth. But now it has gone down the memory hole. So... Um, uh, the, the Washington post got the scoop of it. Of course, Taylor Lorenz, who is the person who I think the left would really like to be in charge of this. She's one of the top, uh, cry bullies who police speech online on behalf of the left. Um, here's how the Washington post phrased it. Their headline, how the Biden administration let right wing attacks derail its disinformation efforts. Isn't that good? The real story is a right-wing attacks. Is not that our government had a Orwellian ministry of truth they had lined up with a bizarre cartoon who is going to be put in charge of it. Experts say the right-wing disinformation smear campaigns regularly follow the same playbook and that it's crucial that the public and leaders of institutions, especially in the government, the media, and educational bodies, understand more fully how these cycles operate. So the real story is how we got it killed, we on the right, the vast right-wing conspiracy, who feels uncomfortable having the government be in charge of what's true and what's not which basically means regulating the uh, few people in the media who might hold it accountable, which of course would, would have been the object, objective of this group. All right. Um, there is a fair bit of good pushing back that we're seeing on the ultra-woke. Netflix just announced that a bunch of shows that are uh, left wing are going to get are going to get stopped. They've pulled several animated projects, including Wings of Fire, from executive producer Ava DuVernay, who made the uh, movie Selma. I think she was the Selma director, which um, Quentin Tarantino famously said should have been a TV movie. So good, he got completely crushed for that when he said that. And then Anti-Racist Baby, a series aimed at preschoolers, um, which is based on the Ibram X. Kendi, the right-wing CRT, I'm sorry, the left-wing CRT radicals, uh, his, his preschool uh, targeted animated series about how to teach basically CRT and CRT-like principles to preschoolers on Netflix. Those got scrapped. In something called With Kind Regards from Kindergarten, a film tailored to youngsters. The streaming service also scrapped, stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, a documentary intended to serve as a companion piece to Stamped from the Beginning, which is a hybrid documentary and scripted feature that delves into race in the United States. Nice. 
But here's the best part. This is the best line from a story in Variety. Sources in Netflix stress the decision not to move forward with these projects were, cre were creative rather than cost-related, meaning they would have taken place regardless of the company's slower revenue growth. So Facebook is not doing well. I'm sorry. I'm confusing all these left-wing companies are the same. Uh, Netflix is not doing well. But the report is Netflix wouldn't have gone through with these even if they were doing well. They're basically sending a signal that they're losing subscribers because of the wokeness. The wokeness has gotten to them and they want it to stop. At least to a degree where they feel like they could be harming their business. Um, a notable exception to some of the pushback, the blowback, the pendulum swinging back in the big tech world, which again, this is good news from Netflix. Um, of course, those of you who are online at all are seeing you know, right-wing tweets being fired off by the likes of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, which is interesting. Not to say I take it all literally at this point because there's so much trolling that goes on on Twitter, but still better that, to see that than not. Um, but Disney has launched LGBTQ clothing line for children. So what is LGBTQ clothing? Disney's doing that. And they're going to be donating profits to pro-trans groups. The Disney Pride Collection is going to be targeted for LGBTQIA plus youths and families. So it's family friendly. And they're going to give some of the pro proceeds to groups that uh, support, I guess, trans stuff for kids. So they're completely confused. So the Disney, as I noted, um, which is run by... Apparently, you know, straight white male boomer, Bob Chepik, who all of a sudden decided he's the biggest ally of the trans over the last couple of months through living the rest of his life, probably indifferent to the plight of the trans. Now he is a part of the trans indoctrination cult for children. And despite the fact that Disney's shares are tanking, they're still continuing to go down this road. Why are they doing this? Because they're much more afraid of the woke millennials who work for them than they are of their consumer base, their customer base. There is so much pushback that's taking place, it's effective in this country, and yet there is not enough in other places. And this is what's interesting to watch, is that you start seeing in certain areas the blowback, and in certain areas you don't see it. Like the NBA has returned to China to state TV after almost three years. So recall that the NBA had this huge controversy um, with the Houston Rockets owner, Daryl Morey, who had tweeted some support for, I think it was Hong Kong, or is it Hong Kong and Taiwan? I think it was just Hong Kong. Um, but uh, the And this led to a lot of uh, fighting with China and the NBA owners. And currently, there was very sparse or limited availability of NBA games. It led to rethinking of the entire relationship. Um, and then there was a lot of compromises trying to be brokered. But really, it was since the tweet Daryl Morey in support of Hong Kong in uh, October 2019. And then Joe Tsai, the uh, Nets owner who made all of his money from Alibaba, which is the biggest Chinese e-commerce company. And someone who's profiled a, a fair bit in Peter Schweitzer's work, and a lot of people are digging into him, I think, in the journalistic side. Uh, but then they've been trying to broker 
some sort of a, 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 a strategic deal. And then now it looks like they're back. So NBA back in China. So I guess we didn't get through the NBA. We haven't gotten through to Disney. We have gotten through to Netflix, it appears. And I guess we finally got through to Biden on the baby formula, though I think maybe that was a, that was smart of him trying to figure that one out. It's gonna be a big deal. And we haven't gotten through to the Republicans on voting for $40 billion for Ukraine with no direction where it's gonna go. All right, a couple other ones I wanna bring up. Um, one more culture one, uh, the PGA Championship is this week. And uh, I'm a golf fan, so I, I did, it, could not bring myself to watch yesterday. And part of it is because I'm still very annoyed that this is the 2022 PGA Championship that was supposed to be Donald Trump's golf course in Bedminster, New Jersey. And it's not because he got canceled by the PGA, a company that's pre, presumably run by, well, it's mostly run by the players, but it's a presumably, you know, mostly upper income, right wing white guys canceled Donald Trump. Why? Because they're afraid. Bunch of weenies over at the PGA. So just know that if you're inclined to watch, and maybe you will, I like golf, probably turn something on, but uh, it's a very annoying. And this is where it, it, you can't remind people enough of who are the weenies out there. And the PGA definitely in the weenie camp. And I, I guarantee you there are people who are, uh, the, you know, listen to the show or work at the PGA. And they should be embarrassed. I'll be embarrassed by that. Cancel Trump, because why? Because he said something impolitic at some point. So you move his golf tournament. Here's a positive one. Oklahoma legislature passes bill banning most abortions. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, this one is the most extreme bill I think I've seen. It is after conception. I think the only allowable abortions now are in the cases of rape and incest when a crime has been reported to law enforcement. How intense is that? There could be nothing higher or more critical than the defense of innocent life, unborn life, Republican State Rep. Jim Olson said on the floor. Hard to disagree with that. Planned Parenthood said, this isn't a fire drill. This is not a rehearsal. This is the real world. Total freak out. So this is um, a state's rights in action. And if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, we'll see if this is uh, where this goes. If Roe v. Wade doesn't get overturned again, we're, we'll keep an eye on that Monday. Monday's next chance for that to happen would be a total bedlam in the news cycle. All right, gas stations in Washington. This is an unbelievable story that the post-millennial had are apparently updating their software to make room for up to $10 in gas. So apparently according to their software in uh, some gas stations, the, the most they could accommodate in terms of gas prices was $9.99. And they were actually updating their software to accommodate if gas goes over $10 a gallon. Not wild. $5,000 a year, I believe, is now the average price an American family spending on gas. Is that real? That number is huge. It's higher in my family, for sure. But I think I live in a part of the world that's higher gas prices than typical. That is a big chunk of money. Post taxes also. A regressive tax on the poor who drive more also. And you wonder why Biden's approval is underwater in, uh, I think, 46 states, maybe more. And even some, a lot of blue states fed up with President Big Joey. And the blue states don't get it. This is the problem with having no oversight and having, uh, you know, like one party areas like in California. San Francisco firefighters are, are, who are not fully vaxxed are still being fired. It's important not to forget this stuff because remember, we report on things 
And then if it becomes uh, politically unfashionable, then uh, people move on. I was just thinking the other day about how, remember the stop Asian hate news cycle? Where did that go? Did we magically cure Asian hate? Or did people realize sometimes the perpetrators did not fit the political agenda? They were hoping, I think in the media, when they were obsessed with Asian hate, that it was gonna be a bunch of white guys with MAGA hats on it who were committing the Asian hate. And when it turned out that wasn't the demographic who was committing the Asian hate, all of a sudden it fell off the news cycle. You have to keep an eye on stuff. Is the, when it became the, the consensus opinion in the country is that we were overreacting to coronavirus and that the vax mandates were illogical even if you like the vaccines, as I do, that it was illogical to have a mandate for people, particularly young, healthy people who are going to save you from fires. And it's still going on. But when the political consensus changed a little bit, then we stopped reporting these things. But luckily, we have an update for you, Breitbart, uh, on that, which is just totally disturbing. Imagine dying in a fire because there was one last firefighter a day because he lost a dispute to not get vaccinated. So that, so that, again, not that coronavirus would have been prevented by the vaccine, it's just he would have had a l- lower symptoms if he tested positive. The Republicans have proposed a bill to fight back against woke capitalism. Um, Sean Moran's a big story. It's a big one at Breitbart. It's led by Pat Toomey, Senate Banking Committee ranking member, and Dan Sullivan, who introduced something called the Investor Democracy Investor Democracy is Expected Act. It's designed to curb Wall Street's control over corporate ownership and voting power, becoming increasingly concentrated within Wall Street's largest investment advisors and their index funds. And this is basically designed to target index funds like BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, which manage $20 billion in assets and are getting a woker by the minute. Um, Stakeholder capitalism is the term you're going to hear, ESG. And uh, those are the terms that you're going to want to get coached up on because this is going to be a huge fight of our time to try to make it so that our corporations are not uh, implementing the woke agenda that uh, has previously been implemented by uh, Democrats and then Hollywood, the media, et cetera, which are losing their pull, I think, with much of the public. So the the woke corporations are... Um, going to be the ones that will be insisting on environmental stuff, social justice stuff. So this is, and they're going to have mandates within these companies that will radically change our culture. So we'll we'll have to do an interview with Carney on this one at some point. And uh, perhaps the senators who are behind it. Okay, couple more, and then we'll go to... The phones, uh, I will mention this very ultra-viral Elon Musk story that's out there. According to Business Insider, which is a lot of fake news, that a flight attendant said Elon Musk exposed himself and propositioned her for sex, according to documents. The company paid her $250,000 and offered her a horse, I guess, at some point, during the uh, full-body massage. On uh, Musk was on a Gulf Stream, allegedly, was getting a full body massage and uh, asked if the masseuse could go further during the massage. Do more. Sorry, what's the expression? And then was apparently paid off and was offered a horse at some point. 
I don't know what to make of this, and I don't know if this is going to be what. Um, I I don't know if this is going to be Musk's downfall. I'm just saying I won't go beyond that. I just don't know if this is going to be what takes him out. So, but a SpaceX flight attendant saying that on a private SpaceX plane, Musk propositioned her for I guess a happy ending. Not good if true, but I don't know if this is what takes him down. Um. Donald Trump said, is Google trying to F me? And he used the letter F. He did not use the letter F. He used the full word according to Rolling Stone because he's concerned that Google, which has been slow walking the company's ability to publicize itself on Google devices, the Android app, et cetera, for truth social. Trump has now seen the light that Google's a problem. It was very tough to get Trump to understand how bad of a big of a threat Google was. I have to admit, we tried our best at Breitbart. I talked about it in person. We wrote thousands of articles on it, probably thousands of articles during his tenure. And he did not seem super focused on how bad Google is. Remember, he had Google to the White House as part of his MAGA summit with Microsoft, uh, Alphabet, Google, and Amazon. So he could be getting it now because he's got a company that is called Truth Social. And the Rolling Stone frames it as struggling. I don't know if it's struggling, but that's uh, what what Rolling Stone says. And it was tough to get on the Android devices. And Trump wondered if it was Google doing something to hurt him. Good. I'm glad he's wondering that. Because if he gets back in the White House, it should be top priority. Quick Pennsylvania update. The McCormick campaign says they're quite confident. Remember, we have great communication with the McCormick campaign. We had good communication with the Barnett campaign. No communication with the Oz campaign, which is a bizarre thing that Dr. Oz was running as a Republican and might very well win. Uh, McCormick campaign says they're confident that they'll make up the gap in with the remaining votes that are there. And there's a lot of different kind of back of the napkin math that I'm seeing um, with regards to the latest outstanding votes. Uh, there is more mail votes to be counted in places like Allegheny County. That's going to get 30 districts should turn in their counts this afternoon. There's more military ballots. There is a couple thousand provisional ballots. And these it's all a big puzzle piece. It's all we're all big puzzle with lots of different pieces moving around. Both sides uh, are acting very confident. But mail-in votes have been favoring McCormick. Military votes should favor him as well. But again, he's down, I think, a little, I think 1,100 as of now. So it really could come down to hundreds of votes. And I'd be surprised if it's more than 1,000 either, either direction before the recount goes forward. have to be diligent about globalist superstates, unelected bureaucratic elite around the world using their wealth and power to amass even more wealth and power, and they'll never stop trying to undermine the nation state, let alone the individual. And one of the worst of these groups is the World Health Organization, which is largely responsible for the world's failed response to the Wuhan pandemic. But they have somehow convinced the Biden administration to hand, or, hand over more power in national sovereignty from the United States to them. 
So not good. John Hayward, who's one of our top reporters on international issues at Breitbart, super bright guy with a ton of information. He gives us all the details and uh, why he thinks this is so scary. Let's play the interview. Do we have our special George Bush clip? All right. Is, is Hayward on with us, too? Because I'm going to get his thoughts on it, too. But it's a, a former president, George W. Bush, was giving a speech on uh, at his presidential center in Dallas. And this is a quote that you have to hear to believe it. And if you've heard it, it's worth hearing a second time. Play it, Haley. Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. Oh. Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh, oh, my goodness. Awkward laugh. Uh, <laughs> Um, it is, it's a, a, I think I was pretty sure Greg who pointed out to me that if this was SNL, if this was Will Ferrell doing George W. Bush, we would have been outraged at how on the nose it was. He is on a brutal and wholly unjustified invasion of Iraq. What a legacy. Still looking for that yellow cake, that yellow cake uranium, still looking for it. Is, is he looking, has he given up the search? You know, O.J. Simpson said he would not rest until the killers of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman were brought to justice. Um, I think he said that quote from a sand trap um, on the back nine somewhere. So it's uh, quite a blight on the, the neoconservatives in the Republican establishment. And we get it. He doesn't like Putin. Doesn't like Russia. I don't like Putin. I don't like Russia. But what does this all mean? How much time are we supposed to spend on this topic? Missing big things like baby formula shortage. So much Putin talk. Right, 866-95-PATRIOT. I asked John Hayward, who's one of our national security and foreign policy reporters, to chime in on this incredible World Health Organization story. But, uh, John, I'm sure you have a thought on that. Oh, absolutely. I got to say that, George Bush, that is the greatest Freudian slip of all time. I can't remember anything Ever. comparable to that. It's just, it's gobsmacking. It's like getting hit in the face with a mackerel. And it, you know, we, we and the other the thing about the neocons, the whole neoconservative movement that we we all seem to be looking back on with disdain now, is that the other war was Afghanistan. Remember, that was the good war. Afghanistan yeah. was the good and justified war, and all the Democrats that opposed the Iraq War said, "Hey, we really ought to be focused on Afghanistan. That's that's the good war we should all be fighting." And that was an unholy disaster. And then Joe Biden managed to make it even more unholy with the way he put out. We have this uh, report from the Afghanistan Inspector General out there about how the the Af- army just collapsed and it was just embarrassing and it was biden's troop withdrawal that just handed the country to the taliban so i mean they, the, the neocons couldn't fight any war correctly good war or bad but it's an interesting thing because i don't like that even though i'm not a war guy uh, and i'm you know breitbart editor for many years and part of the anti-establishment the portion of the republican party that kind of is suspect just about everything uh, when it comes to wars and the military industrial complex. But John, I, I like the ability of us to be able to preserve the opportunity to go bomb some bad guys uh, when they deserve it. And it's just, there's such a lack of credibility that it is a serious issue. And this is the number one guy who's responsible for it. There's no one else. And I think he's taken some pieces off the table for us 
because of he was so incompetent at running his multiple wars. Yeah, absolutely. We're not bad at the bombing the bad guys part. We do that part really well. The shock and awe stuff goes off pretty yeah. spectacularly. It's everything after the nation that building. where the whole yeah. nation building, the whole government complex gets dragged into it, all the usual inefficiencies and feather bedding and everybody lying to everybody else. How long did everybody involved in Afghanistan just lie to the people, to the American people, to the rest of the government over and over again? And then the Taliban collapsed that whole illusion in, what, a week? I think it took them to, to roll over the entire country. I mean, that's the neocon legacy, illusions and lies and bureaucracy. Yeah, I think um, this is something that I, I is, for whatever reason, this is only discussed, I guess, in right of center circles now, because I guess the Republican establishment is seen as an ally with the Democrat media complex in, in is is that your sense of things, John? I mean, do you feel like there's enough focus on how the both party establishments, the Republicans in particular, bungled so many foreign policy debacles that I really do think it's provided a big service for folks who share my politics in a way because it just reminds you over and over again how they shouldn't be trusted with anything. It almost feels like Afghanistan to me was the covenant between the bipartisan foreign policy establishment. The Democrats and the Republicans agreed not to give each other a hard time about Afghanistan, and it's just fading from memory already. They they stopped talking about it the, the minute Biden's withdrawal disaster began unfolding, sure. and you, nobody's scoring any points on it. Have you heard a major Republican you know criticize Biden for Afghanistan? It's been a while since I've heard them say the name. Yeah, it's exactly right, and it's um, it's it's also amazing to find how the war establishment from the Bush era is now entirely in lockstep with the CNN worldview, and I feel in a way like good riddance, but in I also feel deeply concerned that some people can have such a different perception of reality than I have. And you wonder, are they bringing that different perception to something like Ukraine, where if they get their neocon way, we can end up in a shooting war with a nuclear power? You have to wonder if that mindset is still riding high. Is that what they're leading us into? And what happens to the human race if if we wind up, you know, it's it's worrisome. John, let me get your quick reaction before we turn to why I summoned you early in the morning to talk about World Health Organization. But let me get your quick reaction to the Republicans supporting the $40 billion Ukraine deal. This is where we just cut them a check for, I think it was $13 billion two months ago. And there's, I think, only 11 Republicans voted against it in the Senate. And it's just one of these things where it's not that we don't want to support Ukraine, but cutting a $40 billion check, which is a random number, and they specifically wrote the legislation so that there's no inspector general to keep an eye on where the money's going. It's just appalling to me, and I thought we were past this in 2022, but apparently not. No, I mean, we don't have $40 billion. We're, we're mortgaged to the hilt. We have inflation running wild. We're finding out that the Biden administration just up and lost, what, $130 billion of the pandemic money just vanished into thin air. And now they're writing checks for another $40 billion. We just don't have it. And the, the mad rush to pass this bill with no accountability, with no inspector, with no supervision whatsoever, so don't you dare ask what happened to it. It doesn't fill me with confidence that it's going to be wisely spent. And whatever you think of Russia and Ukraine, and I, I loathe what Vladimir Putin did to Ukraine. We just don't have these resources. We need to start getting realistic about the money we don't have. And if they want to do stuff like this, we need to start freeing up the money by cutting $40 billion from the rest of the government. I mean, God knows there's fat to be trimmed. Let's see a bill that takes $40 billion away from the nanny state and finances Vladimir Putin. So the Absolutely. 
Yeah, and they can't do that. Or let's let's figure out some uh, other foreign policy entanglement that we're involved in that's more expensive than Americans are paying attention to, which is infinite. Let's take some from the EPA or the Department of Education or something that everyone agrees is kind of wasting much money. But we'll we'll never do that. We'll never find the other forty because that's the whole nature of the way government works. Is the goal is to max out their budget. The goal is not to save money. The goal is to max. And there's a lots of parts of life that like this. If you're in the nonprofit world, sometimes the goal is to max out your expenditures and you can ask for more next year in the government. The goal is to max out your expenditure. The goal is not to save money. Most people are not trying to do that. If you're a small business owner, you're going, that's crazy. Yeah, but that's the reality. If you're running a small business, you want to save as much money as you can and then you can pay bonuses. Uh, in the government, that's not how it works. They, they try to spend everything. And I think once you understand that, then if things get darker, but also more clear. Yes. And, and then look at what happens. Their solution to inflation that they've created with all this madcap spending is let's raise your taxes. <laughs> they dropped inflation on us so that people can't afford food anymore. And their solution to that is going to be to raise their taxes to fix inflation, which is going to make everything more expensive. It's just deranged. It's so out of control. Everything happened today sounds like a spoof I would have written 20 years yeah. ago about the, the collapse of the government, you know, the, the last days of the American empire. John, last one that before we really get down to, to business here. Do you have a reaction to the Defense Production Act for the baby formula uh, shortage? Because it, it seems like one where we're supposed to really use these in true crises, and I don't know how effective this will be in this particular one. Um, but it's tough because this is supposed to be really the emergency escape hatch. But, um, you know, a baby suffering dying in the United States very well could fit that. Uh, did you have a reaction to Biden's decision to do that? And the reaction to the timeline, whereas, you know, even the New York Times was reporting on this crisis seven, eight months ago. And now we're here today. And uh, is, is even John Tester, Democrat, was saying he was warning months ago that this is a problem. And now all of a sudden Biden flips the switch and now he cares so deeply about it. What's your take? Well, yeah, obviously, this is poll driven. Biden couldn't have cared less. I mean, it wasn't on their radar screen. They're busy transforming you by force in various ways. They're making war on the middle class. And nobody tapped anybody on the shoulder and said, uh, we're out of baby formula. The babies are going to yeah. die. So at the last minute, once the polls turned on them and everybody grew outraged at the administration, that's when they uncooked this brainstorm about the strategic production stuff. And that, that really is your right. It's a last ditch measure. How can the United States of America be down to last ditch measures to feed babies. You know, how can anyone defend leadership right. that would leave us at this point where the, this is the equivalent of tapping the strategic petroleum reserve, you know, is the way that he did that to get the oil prices down a little bit to get his poll numbers up. And it didn't work. <laughs> Biden managed yeah. to tap the strategic petroleum reserve and oil prices went up instead of down. So now these same geniuses are going to give us the last ditch escape hatch. And I worry that it won't work either, but we have to do something. I mean, I'm all in favor of getting the beat formula crisis resolved by any means necessary. But how did it come to this? Yeah, that's a, almost my exact take, um, but uh, always well stated by John Hayward, who reports for us on a variety of issues, typically national security and foreign policy issues. Uh, John, this is the most alarming story of the day and one that I was just starting to get briefed on via your reporting uh, last night, which is this World Health Organization treaty that we're about to become a part of, which is being framed as us yielding massive amounts of sovereignty to the pro-CCP globalist uh, super state bureaucracy that is the WHO. Uh, what is going on? Is this a done deal? Who signs it? Give us the 30,000 foot. 
Well, the, this weekend is the World Health Assembly, which is the World Health Organization's big meeting, and they have been pushing for some kind of grandiose global pandemic treaty that would tremendously increase the powers and funding of the World Health Organization to fight future pandemics. And back at the beginning of the year, the Biden administration proposed some changes to the World Health Organization's rules that would greatly expand its powers, and that will surely come up at this meeting and could be part of this push for the global pandemic treaty. It, this could just be the beginning of what the global pandemic treaty does. But in these proposed rules revisions, the Biden people said the World Health Organization would now have unilateral authority to declare epidemic outbreaks and disease outbreaks. They would no longer have to consult with the U.S. government or any other member nation before they would do this. It, it, the power to declare such an emergency would now reside entirely in the person of the director general of the World Health Organization. You can read this online. This is not somebody's opinion. This is a fact. And if you look at these documents the Biden people submitted to the World Health Organization, all the parts about them consulting with member nations are still there. They're just, there's a line through them. There's literally a line drawn through every single part of the WHO rules that said they have to consult with member nations before declaring a pandemic emergency and moving in and taking charge. Now, the people that support this are trying to fact check concerns about it, and I put fact-checking scare quotes here, by saying who doesn't have any enforcement powers. So this really just means that the declaration part and the, the media part, I guess you could say, is at whose discretion. But it's extremely troubling that we begin the precedent that they don't have to consult with member nation governments, with our governments. It's very clearly Biden ceding power and authority to the World Health Organization. Like I said, there's a whole global pandemic treaty coming down the pipe. So this seems like the beginning of a transfer of authority to this globalist organization, not the end. This is a first step towards making them powerful. This is not just the, the only thing they're going to do. And I've been watching the World Health Organization all through this pandemic, and not a single damn thing they've done fills me with confidence and makes me think that this is an organization that can be trusted with that authority. Um, John, what is the process, allegedly, of ratifying treaties in this country? And what is this? Is this Does this qualify as a treaty? Because there's always technicalities so that, so that the administration can always sort of get what they want in this situation. But do they need Senate support? Do they need anyone to sign on to it? Or is this something that can be done with the State Department and with the executive branch? I know they'll try to do it without the Senate if they can find any way to do it, but I don't think this counts as a treaty. The World Health Organization yeah, is exactly. not a sovereign nation, so I don't know if the Senate's oversight uh, capacity would be invoked. Now, I'm sure the senators will want to. There will be quite a human cry if Biden tries to do this with the stroke of a pen and doesn't get Congress involved. But he might be able to find a way to muscle around Congress to get this done. I would not rule out that possibility. Yeah, the uh, this is something that uh, is something that you know the globalists like it john but what did they what is the exact objective here why would biden do this and what specific powers do we know what specific powers are we relinquishing this is it's sort of an enhancement of the authority of this globalist organization and at a glance if you just look over what they're doing here you might think that this is directed at china you might say, well, hey, we have to do this because look at what the Chinese did. They lied to who, they buffaloed them, they manipulated them, they've hidden information from them. The WHO visit to Wuhan to investigate the virus was an absolute farce. The Chinese just burned all the data and refused to share it. So you would think that all these rules might be directed at China, but China's not going to pay attention to any of this. This is another one of these globalist scams where it's going to turn out that China is not affected in the slightest. They'll just ignore this. There is no scenario envisionable, no matter who signs what. 
in which the Chinese Communist Party would say, okay, sure, you guys now have unilateral power to declare a pandemic emergency over our objections, and we'll just hand over any data that you want. We'll be more transparent. I mean, you've got to be on drugs to think that that would ever happen. So this is going to wind up going against us. Who will have the authority to declare pandemic emergencies, whether our government and people think it's correct or not, or to not declare them, if who decides it's not the appropriate time to declare one? Remember, they dragged their feet ridiculously on the the coronavirus. They didn't declare the COVID-19 emergency until they were dragged kicking and screaming into doing it. So we're talking about giving unilateral authority to an organization that absolutely failed in its great test to declare a pandemic emergency. That's what we'd be giving up. We'd be giving up the authority to declare that state of emergency. And I'm sure there is going to be more to come that would give who more power and money to actually act during one of these emergencies. So what does that mean? So we can't declare the state of emergency what practically speaking what does that do well as it stands right now the world health organization has to consult with member state governments that's what the parts that are lined out in the biden rules say so who has to talk to our government and say we think you might have a pandemic on your hands and work with our officials and so forth in order to do this under the new rules they wouldn't have to do that who could just step right in and say, you have a pandemic emergency and we're activating all relevant emergency clauses and we demand you hand over this data and that data. And again, you know, that might sound good when you're dealing with China, but it's not going to work on them. They're not going to do it. It would be a club wielded against us and and the UK, you know, and and the rest of the world. And here's the big concern I see from a lot of people that that are responding to this. Who's to say that the World Health Organization doesn't step up one day and say, we've decided you have a gun pandemic. We, we've decided you oh, have wow. a climate change pandemic emergency, and we're going to declare right. a state of emergency and activate relevant powers. There's nothing stopping them from doing that, and we know that the globalists love to, to take everything that they care about and treat it like it was a pandemic. They openly insist that we treat gun control as a, as a pandemic health issue and so forth. So there's really nothing stopping them from doing that once these rules go into effect. But what are those pan- but what are those powers exactly? Because it just seems a little far fetched for me the World Health Organization is going to, you know, declare some sort of a environmental pandemic and it's gonna directly affect my life here unless American Democrats uh, in- insist on it, which they would do anyway. So I'm just trying to figure out the mechanics of it. At the moment the World Health Organization doesn't have punitive powers like they they can declare stuff and they can they have a lot of money of course we fund them lavishly but they don't have any ability to come in and and punish you or demand this or or command that they don't have an enforcement mechanism and the people defending these biden changes that's pretty much what they say to defend it they say who doesn't have any real power they're more like an advisory body and they have money to spend and they have resources to deploy but they can't really hurt you if you say we disagree we don't have a pandemic stop hassling us like there's nothing they can really do to you that's what these people say i'm not saying lying about that especially after this world health assembly i don't think it would be long before who has something more like a command mechanism in place because for that very reason you're, you're going to have this big meeting this weekend and all these people are going to be there and they're going to say we need to do better against the next pandemic and in the last pandemic people just ignored who so we need to have more power so that nobody can ignore us anymore is that what happened that people just ignored the world health organization or did the world health organization ignore the pandemic well both uh, china manipulated the world health organization in, in two key ways they kept them from declaring the state of emergency for a ridiculously long period of time and then worse 
China and who undermined travel bans. The one thing that could have stopped the pandemic from boiling out of China would have been banning travel out of China. And the World Health Organization joined with the Chinese Communist government and said travel bans are silly. Uh, don't do that. It's illogical. There's no justification for travel bans. And of course, once the pandemic was out into the world, China turned around and became the world's leading fan of travel bans. So, <laughs> you know, in no time flat, what was it three months later, and once, once the pandemic was everywhere, China suddenly said, oh, we're going to ban travel into China to keep you from bringing it back to us. So that we, we have will ban travel to us. We just don't like it when you ban our travel. So, I mean, the World Health Organization made a couple of huge mistakes there that helped the pandemic to get to be as bad as it is. And they've never been accountable for that. No one's been held to task for that. No one's ever been held to task for whose big scandals. They have all these sexual abuse scandals that have been rocking the organization for years. The director general, Tedros said, and M. Gabrasius is involved in some of those scandals. Supposedly some of these people know him and they use their connections to him to avoid accountability. And nobody's really been held to account for any of that. You know, a couple of low-level people got fired, but, but who's never really addressed any problem the organization has? And they have yet to ever explain how China's influence affected their behavior sure. in the pandemic. According to so, they didn't do anything wrong. They were flawless. So to come back to my question, why would we do this? And the it seems like maybe because the Democrats feel like it is they, of course, want to control the people and they want to be able to go around democracy, subvert democracy to enact more totalitarianism and authoritarianism in general. And especially they have the climate in mind and I know they want to control us via uh, energy supply, et cetera. This is all fundamental stuff. So if right. they have a, if they relinquish power to the WHO and then we could point the WHO, we could say it's out of our hands is what WHO says and we've signed this treaty, then potentially is this a way to backdoor their agenda without having to go through the democratic process? Is that kind of what I'm seeing? Yeah, exactly. If I don't like what the World Health Organization is doing, where do I go to vote against them? <clears throat> where do I go to vote Tedros Adhanom Gracias out of office because I think he's corrupt? Uh, nowhere. Yeah. No one cares what your, in my opinion, is of what World Health Organization does. There, there's no ability for the individual people of democratic societies of free nations like us to influence them in any way. They're a multinational, transnational organization, and nobody except our political class has any real influence with them at all. And we have no way to vote against or in favor of anything that they do. So you're exactly right. That's why you do stuff like this. You move power to these transnational organizations, and now you don't have to worry about your pesky voters anymore because they have nothing to say about it. Sick stuff. John Hayward, thanks for keeping an eye on it for us at Breitbart, and thanks for all the extra commentary as well. <laughs> thanks for having me on. try to feature a caller of the day to reflect the vast audience of callers calling in on our hotline 866-95-PATRIOT on the live show, which is at 6 a.m. on SiriusXM Patriot number 125 every morning uh, and on the SXM app. And today we're featuring caller Cliff from Canada who talks about an important discussion of the fake news and the lowering threshold for what disinformation means. Uh, it is a puzzle to be sure, and it's sort of why I'm a free speech absolutist for the most part, because it is so hard to answer these questions. So my best thought is usually allow free speech to win, but uh, it is a discussion that's going on and it will continue to go on, and we had it on the show a little bit. Let's play the call of the day, Cliff. 
our two countries share a problem, and the problem is fake news and uh, left-leaning bias in the news and these kinds of things. And I've been struggling for a long time to think through what the solution might be when you're trying to maintain a free press, <clears throat> but at the same time you want to control um, news agencies just spewing out lies. And uh, <clears throat> maybe this is overly simplistic, but I was thinking, well, maybe they just need to legislate lowering the bar for defamation and libel suits. Maybe that solves it. You can still have a free press, but they open themselves up to litigation if they're spewing lies. Yeah. It's such a great question, Clifford, because I've thought about this because I admit I get very excited when I see, you know, the Nicholas Ammon of the world suing outlets that smeared him and clearly smeared him and continue to smear him even when it became clear that their narrative was not accurate and they went on and on and on and then he's settling lawsuits for who knows eight nine figures potentially i mean uh, or certainly seven figures we don't know the exact terms of it and i get very excited about it but then it also makes me feel vulnerable as a journalist because um who's to to, to say that the arbiter of what's fake and what's real will be uh someone who's credible and, you know, we often get accused of doing something at Breitbart that is not true, that is true. And then uh, years later, when uh, the dust settles on certain items and things get sorted out, and no one ever comes back and apologizes to us and says, sorry, we got that one wrong. We shouldn't have been so, we shouldn't have smeared you or whatever. It, it doesn't really happen. So the problem is, is the slippery slope. And that's why I tend to just be a free speech absolutist. But if you can prove malice or prove some incitement to violence, Sure, I'm all for some suits from time to time. It's just really hard to trust the government, which always is self-interested in protecting itself, to uh, set these rules, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Something's got to be done, though. It's, uh, I mean, it's, the, it's, it's probably the most important thing we have in the democracy, and it's being abused so badly. It's like somebody smarter than me has got to come up with a solution. I got American parts. All right, thanks so much for producers Haley and Greg Eben, who make the show sound good. And thanks to all of you who've checked out all the shows this week, including the special yesterday with interviews with Devin Nunes and Bill O'Reilly. Could be a good uh, weekend listen if you missed that one. And we appreciate you sharing all of our content all over the social web, telling 10,000 friends and family members about the podcast and everything we do at Breitbart. We'll talk to you next week. Time.